you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. All right, this is episode 78 of Reclaiming the Faith. It's going to be part two of my interview with Chuck Pike that I am super pumped for y'all to be able to hear. But before we get into that, I want to give you a preview of one of the tracks off my upcoming album, Babylon. This song is called How Long, and it's based out of the book of Habakkuk. I'm really excited about it about this song and this album and so without any further ado here's a snippet of how long So that was a preview of my song, How Long, off my upcoming album, Babylon, which should be out in mid to late July. So keep a lookout for that. Well, today I I am so excited to get you part two of my interview with Chuck Pike. Chuck's going to be looking at the issue of uh, once saved, always saved. And he's also going to be talking about the way the early Christians viewed politics and how that should shape the way that we view politics today. Chuck is an environmental engineer whose professional career is focused on water and wastewater treatment. He's been actively involved in Bible teaching for three decades. His ministry is focused mainly on expository teaching along with prophecy-based apologetics and the kingdom perspective, incorporating insights from the early Christians. Chuck lives in Boston area with his wife, Allison, and their two children, and I've got links to his apologetic series, Prove It, and his recent teachings from his church uh, in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. And if this show is a blessing to you, please consider going to iTunes and leaving a positive rating and review there on my iTunes channel, Reclaiming the Faith. And if you want to find all my previous podcasts, if you want to find a link to my book or the music, the Patreon page, please consider going to philsbaker.com where you will find links to all of those things. Well, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about what we talk about today, please go check those out. Finally, the early Christian quotes that I use can generally be found on the CD-ROM 
Islam version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can find on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Without any further ado, let's get episode 78 rolling. Man, that's so good. Um, when you were talking about that, I was thinking a little bit about uh, the parable of the soils from, well, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But uh, in Luke, I believe it talks about those um, in the second soil, uh, in the rocky soil, that they believed for a while, but in the time of testing fell away. That's right. That's and, exactly right. And um, like I was raised Southern Baptist. And so, of course, it's, <clears throat> you know, once saved, always saved. I went to um, Southern Baptist uh for my under Southern Baptist school for my undergrad, Houston Baptist University, and uh, for seminary as well. And so you got like really, really educated people that are believing in once saved, always saved. Then I get into yes. the anti Nicene <clears throat> writings, and none of them believe that that I came across. Like they <clears throat> they believe, you know, you've got security for the believer, you know, that's that's faithfully following the Lord, but so it didn't seem like they were living in fear of losing their salvation. But um, they didn't, they didn't believe once saved, always saved. And so do you mind if I ask you a question about that? Sure, sure. Absolutely. So, uh, basically where I am, I get a lot of my thinking on that, um, issue from like Hebrews three Yes. and, um, like how it tells us to, you know, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin Yes. or we become part partners of Christ if we hold our first confidence firm to the end, like yes. those two verses are like really crucial for me where, where I am. And I, I'd love for you to like, you know, give me your thoughts on this. Correct me if I'm off on this. Um, it seems like nothing like works couldn't get us saved. So oh, works can't cause us to lose our salvation either, but uh, believing loyalty to Jesus, you know, by his grace is what got us saved. Yeah. And so if we change our believing loyalty away from Jesus, then we will lose our salvation. Like, um, but works play a huge role in that, in that they can harden us unrepentant, you know, sin can harden our heart to such a degree that we become deceived and basically throw away yeah. our salvation. That, that's kind of where I am. Would you mind speaking to that? Yeah, I mean, works is such a dirty word in, in, in the Protestant world, going all the way back to, to Martin Luther, um, that uh, anybody, it's like the third rail, you know, anybody who wants to say that the works has anything to do with salvation, all that, you're going to get you get fried by whatever, pretty much whatever group you're in. Um, but works... Um, you know, uh, James says, faith without works is dead. Right. Uh, and, and anyone who believes otherwise, he calls a fool. So, so, yeah. so you know, when it's talking about works, okay, it's the words works and law, you really have to, because, I mean, Greek, one of the differences between Greek and English is Greek has a much smaller vocabulary, way smaller vocabulary than English. So right. what happens is the same word, will be used three or four different ways, and you better figure out from context which way he's talking about. So when Paul uh, is reading in Romans today, his teaching class on Romans, 
uh, to some people in the Middle East, and um, uh, he talks about the works of the law in Romans chapter 3. So, you know, when Paul's talking about works, what is he talking about? Is he talking about the works of the law of Moses, or is he talking about works meaning just an obedient action? So, you know, which, which one is he talking about? So, um, we're saved by faith, but, uh, you know, Hebrews 11 is, is a great place to go for a good definition of saving faith. And there are, there are three or four aspects of it. I mean, most Protestants just associate faith with belief. Right. Belief only. And, and it says, by faith, Noah built an ark to save himself and his family. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell when the people marched around him for seven days. So this is faith, real saving faith, is believing and obeying. So um, if it, it, it works in that sense are absolutely essential for salvation. Um, and, uh, you know, in Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats are not judged on the basis of what they believe. They're just, they all, they all call Jesus Lord. Right. Uh, or Matthew 7, and in the, uh, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? So obviously they're not lacking belief. Yeah. They're casting, they're, they're performing miracles in the name of Jesus. They believe in Jesus, but he says, away from me, you practice lawlessness. Literally, that's what he says. So, so uh, you know, you can't live lawless, spiritually lawless lives, or you're going to forfeit your salvation. And there's so many scriptures that talk about uh, we can lose ourselves. And at, at the whole point of what Paul's saying in First Corinthians 10, he says, "Look, they were all baptized. They all ate the spiritual food and spiritual drink. They all drank from Christ." They drank from the rock, okay? But God wasn't pleased with most of them. He said, this is a lesson for you. Just because you've been baptized, just because you believe, just because you're drinking from Christ doesn't mean you're going to be saved. You've got to persevere. Hmm. You know, God won't let you be tempted. Be, and a lot of people, a lot of people teach, teach that, and they'll throw up their hands and say, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not in the top two out of 600,000. I might as well give up right now. I say, no, no, God says, He's faithful. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But, uh, you know, if you walk in the light as he is in the light, as it says in um, in uh, in First John, or, you know, uh, Dave Brousseau talks a lot about the, the vine and the branches. I'm mm-hmm. the vine, you are the branches. You must remain in me. You must abide in me. You must obey my commands. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so, you know, it, it, if somebody says, well, certainly you're not teaching you're saved by works, I say, no, you're saved by faith, but saving faith, saving faith involves works of obedience. It, involves, it also involves perseverance over time. Hmm. That's the other thing. It's, it's, it's not just the belief of an incident. It's, it's a way of, it's a, it's a walk of obedient faith that perseveres to the end. You know, you mentioned the example of the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the parable of the soils, the second soil, they sprang up and believed for a while, but then in time when the, when the persecution came, fell away. So when Jesus says, if you disown me, I'll disown you. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. how, how plain is that? So Right. Oh, man, I, I mean, I really appreciate you breaking that down. You know, it seems like Paul himself 
didn't believe in once saved, always saved, like right before he goes into the first Corinthians 10 passage, he's saying, you know, right. I, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after proclaiming to others, I myself, myself should not be disqualified. That's right. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh, there's so many, but let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, sure. get into a little bit of the political realm. There's so much tension right now. Um, between believers, non-believers, uh, especially with this being in an election year. Yes. Um, so how did the early Christians view politics and civic responsibility? Uh, well, I'll, I'll make a, a, a little comment here, okay? I, yeah. When I became a Christian, part of the co- counting the cost for me was saying goodbye to politics. I I ran political campaigns. Okay? Mm. So, even though I worked as an engineer, I was totally involved in politics. I understand the magnetic pull, the adrenaline rush of the political battles. Okay, so I, I was I was heavily involved in politics um, uh, many years ago uh, in my twenties, and I realized if I'm going to follow Jesus, that changes everything. He is the Lord, and, and, and I'm going to follow him. And, um, you know, it says don't, we don't get involved in civilian affairs. Um, I think the, uh, there, there's so many things that, that, that uh, the, the early Christian, you mentioned early Christians, I think of uh, origins um, against Celsus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's writing in probably mid-200s, and uh, Celsus, I think, wrote quite a bit before that, so he's writing, Celsus had attacked the Christians, and so Origen, uh, years later, is writing a defense of the Christians against Celsus's critiques. And one of the criticisms of Celsus was, how come your people aren't serving in the government? You know, you've right. got some very capable people, why aren't they serving in the government? And and so, uh, Origen, so that tells you me right there that obviously the, the Christians were criticized for not being part of the government. They didn't feel like it was their place. And you know, people say, well, you know, you could make the government better if you served in the government. Well, they, they didn't feel that that was their arena. They're, they're citizens of another kingdom. This is part of the whole idea of the kingdom of God and the teaching of the two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the world, there's the kingdom of God. And that if we're in the kingdom of God, we're citizens of another kingdom. And we live by different rules. And so, I mean, Origen said, look, the people who are most capable uh, among the Christians are doing more important things than working for the government. They're, they're serving as they're serving uh, our king and, and our government, the government of the church. So there are people who are serving as deacons and elders and um, meeting the needs of Christians. So, so they felt like they were much more important things to do. And the other thing several Christians point out, including Origen, there's so many things that you have to do in politics that a Christian can't do. I mean, and back in those days, you know, what do you do with, uh, uh, you know, what do you do with war and capital punishment and, and the paganism and the idolatry and all the thing, other things that are associated with, uh, with uh, uh, working, working in the government? Uh, in, in a political role. So the Christian's attitude was we have, we're, we have a more important uh, thing to do than serving in, in the governments of this world. 
So they they tended to avoid it. It wasn't because they didn't have democracy back then. It's because they they thought that uh, uh, we're citizens of another kingdom. We answer to another king, and we don't we don't uh, get involved in civilian affairs. You know, there there are two quotes from Tertullian that um, that always come to my mind when when I'm talking with somebody about this, and they're both, I believe, from his first apology. Um, Mm -hmm. when he says like the Caesars too would have believed in Christ if the Caesars had not been necessary for the world or Christians could have been Caesars. So Uh he's he's saying like, it's impossible to, to rule the world, to wear the purple and follow Jesus. And then like he says later, like nothing, or we don't take part in your public meetings and nothing is more foreign to us than the affairs of the state. That's right. And that's right. It's just so like, to me, it was such a gut punch, uh, yes. you know, um, because I was very passionate about that kind of stuff for a while. And I don't know, it is like the early Christian writings became a bit of a, like reading them caused a bit of a grieving process for me because like, yeah. I felt like either I had been lied to or like, um, yeah, even going through seminary and like we, we didn't talk about the early Christian writings in Christian history class, like for the first three centuries, basically the only thing we really covered were the heresies uh-huh. and, um, you know, like Marcion. And, and then maybe if you're getting into Christians going a little too far with the Montanists, you know, yes. um, but they didn't get into what the early Christians really valued the way they lived. And that's so important to the uh-huh. Christians, you know, like in Justin's apologies and Aristides and, you know, uh, letter to Diognetus, all that stuff. They talk so much about the way the Christians live. And this was a big uh-huh. part of it. They weren't trying to rule the world. Right. Oh, gosh. So like one of the responses that I've received from that, and this even by, you know, uh, pastors with doctorates, right? This is precisely one of the responses I got to this topic. Yes. He said that, um, the, their, their writings are great, but they're not relevant to us because we're in a new dispensation and times are different now. So okay. how would you respond <laughs> to someone like that? First of all, how did, what, what, what did, where did, when did the dispensation curtain drop? I don't, I don't understand that. After Jesus died, okay, we're, we're in the same dispensation the apostles were in. What's, <laughs> uh, what's, what's changed? He cited Constantine. That puts us in a different dispensation? Yeah, well, he, he, he's coming from Southwestern uh, Theological Seminary, which yeah. really promotes, or at least it used to when he was in seminary, promoted dispensationalism. So, yeah. so I'm just curious how you would, you know. Well, Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom we preach to the whole world and then the end will come. So I don't, I don't see, I don't see <laughs> this segmentation going on. It's going gonna, gonna to be preached for 400 years and then the curtain's going to drop and then we'll preach something else after that. So, uh, it's, it, we're in the same dispensation. Uh, you know, the fact that the government got tangled up with the church just corrupted the church. And, uh, uh, you know, that's, that's all. And that just happened in the West. It didn't happen in the East. So that's, that's, you know, it's a completely different history there. So you're only, you're only looking at the history of Western Christianity when you talk about uh, Constantine, what happened to the Roman Empire, that's just one small part. That's one, one, one significant part, large part, but not the whole, that's not the whole world. So I, I don't buy this dispens- dispensation uh, stuff, and I don't see it in Scripture at all. 
can I throw another one your way that I've that I've heard? Sure. <laughs> so another another response that I've gotten when I've been talking about this kind of stuff is, uh, and I don't remember who said this, but you know, all it takes for evil to prevail in the world is for good men to do nothing. And so these people yeah. are applying that to not voting and Christians not trying to get into politics. Like that's abhorrent. Yeah. That is such a sin of omission, basically, is what they're saying. How yes. would you respond to something like that? Well, um, the uh, uh, David Lipscomb, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, he's a restoration movement uh, uh, leader right around the time of the U.S. Civil War and okay. after that. Uh, he, wrote, he wrote a work called On Civil Government, which is uh, a very radical uh, uh, Two Kingdoms message uh, about the dangers uh, of getting, for Christians getting tangled up with the government. And, um, uh, you know, he, he, his, his, the take was, all right, so, so you, let's say, okay, let's say it's Trump versus Biden. Right. You vote for Donald Trump. Okay. I mean, I don't know how many thousands of people Trump has already killed. Okay. I'm sorry to laugh at I, that, but who knows? yeah, who I knows? get it. I'm serious. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Biden would kill tens of thousands and and Trump would only kill thousands, but you know, Trump's probably up in the tens of thousands already. But I mean, how many wars is the United States fighting right. that we know about and that we don't even know about right. right now and starving people and, you know, everything else. So, so, you know, Lipska makes the point that if you vote for somebody and this person starts a war, and kills people and does all these other things, which, you know, Trump's already done, uh, Trump, Obama, Bush, go, go, go I mean, I'll go all the way back. Yeah. When's, who's, when's the last president who, who doesn't have blood in his hands? So right. um, he says, you're, you're bearing responsibility if you put somebody in office and they do this stuff. So, I mean, his attitude was, I don't, I don't want the guilt of what these people are doing on my hands. So that's one argument. I mean, I, I, I hear if other people say, you know, one guy is way worse than the other and uh, we could face some horrific uh, um, uh, problems here if we don't in self-defense uh, vote, okay? I hear that argument and I'm not going to, and I'm not going to blast somebody for doing that. If somebody says, I'm going to go quietly and vote, uh, you know, fortunately I live in Massachusetts, so my vote is completely meaningless. <laughs> this is such a blue state. It doesn't, it's, there's no point in voting anyway. So, so I have the, I have the luxury. I mean, I might as well be living in, uh, uh, you know, uh, living in North Korea or something is, right. is living in, in uh, Massachusetts, meaning my vote is meaningless. So, so, uh, 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 you know, if I was living in a state where uh, my vote could, in theory, have some bearing on the outcome, I might struggle with something like that. But I'm, unfortunately, I'm, or, or otherwise, I'm, that's not where I am. So, um, the, the uh, you know, if somebody says, look, I'm going to stay out of politics, but I'm going to vote because the stakes are too high, um, you know, uh, I say, okay, I'm not going to. Uh, withdraw fellowship from you or anything like that. But I would say that 
it seems like all the people historically that I most respect, that were the most hard line about the kingdom of God, they really want to have nothing to do with the government. Man, that, I have not read Lipscomb. Um, that is an incredibly brave thing to write around the yes. time of the Civil War. <laughs> You're not going to make well, very many after, friends. It was, he wrote it, after, well, it was during, during the Civil War. It was in Tennessee, and, and they respectfully wrote to both the Confederacy and the U.S. government and said, I'm sorry, but we're Christians, and we can't fight on either side. So they, they didn't make anybody happy during the war. And then after the war, he saw what happened, and he saw the tremendous devastation of war. And uh, it really opened his eyes to the nature of the government and what the government is doing. And he wrote a scathing, uh, yeah, on, on civil government is... Uh, is uh, uh, quite quite a blast uh, against any uh, to anybody who has any rose-colored glasses regarding the government and Christian participation in it. Wow, he's definitely going against the trend, and um, you're you're kind of going against the trend as a pastor of a house church movement, right? Well, yeah, we're, we have a. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know which way the trends are going right now. We have a, we have a house church, uh, and um, uh, we started. We were part of a very large church, and we 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 started uh, uh, an independent house church, and it's been a wonderful experience. We're, you know, we're able to get much closer to one another, have much closer fellowship. Um, Boy, it cuts out a lot of uh, of of expenses too. You know, we, don't, we don't have any paid ministry. We don't have any place to rent. So uh, we can any any money we collect, it can go for uh, uh, either helping those in need or or spreading the gospel, or something like that. So so uh, it it really streamlines things. Um, it's been a blessing. It's it's been a um, it's been a great blessing for us. It's been a very positive thing. How have the uh, the early Christian writings helped shape your gatherings, and would would you mind kind of describing what those gatherings are like? Well, yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I don't. We're not trying to imitate the early Christians, but I think we, I mean, we we get together. We, uh, man, I think if if you read. Uh, Justin Mars first apology, he has a description of what happens when the church gets together and they yeah. have the Lord's Supper. They sing, uh, they have, uh, you know, the, the, um, the elder or the, the pastor will be uh, giving an admonition. They'll read scripture. So, I mean, that's what we do. So, so, um, our, our gatherings are simple. We have the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Um, and, uh, I, one of the things that surprised me, because we've been, uh, uh, over the last few years, we've been exposed to people from conservative Anabaptist backgrounds also who are seeking the, the kingdom path and interested in the early church. And uh, there's a lot of overlap. So we've, we've had some very interesting dialogues with people for coming out of a very different background. And I was surprised that... Uh, to find that in, in so many of those churches, they'll have communion twice a year. Now, I, I grew up hmm. Roman Catholic, 
and I was in a church of Christ where, and so the whole idea that people wouldn't have the Lord's Supper every Sunday seemed really strange to me. It's mm. like, that's, that's one of the most important things you do when you get together. So, so, uh, that, so that would be it. So we would have, um, uh, you know, we'd have uh, preaching. We have uh, the brothers are the ones that are leading the group and, and doing the, the public speaking because of what it says in First Corinthians. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the women uh, will cover their heads uh, when when we're gathered together when they pray. Some of them like to cover their heads all the time. We don't we don't require that at all. Some people do. Some people don't. It's just when you when you it says when you pray or prophesy. So we don't go beyond that. So. Uh, so that's that's it. I mean, it's it's really not complicated, um, but that's the that's that's what we do when we get together. So we'll have the Lord's Supper. We'll have singing. We'll pray. We'll read the Bible. We'll have uh, an, a lesson from the Scriptures. We usually do expository preaching. So we'll read a section of the Scriptures and preach out of that. Um, uh, so I mean, that, that's what we do. I was just thinking about like um, in the giving and how you're talking about it frees up uh, your church to be able to give more toward need instead of like supporting the building, keeping the lights on, paying the salaries of the pastors, that kind of stuff. Like, man, I just, that, that's so great. Um, Is there a particular like mission that you want to tell the people about that maybe they they could give toward because a lot of the people that listen to the folks on my network, um, not all by any stretch, but a lot of them have had bad experiences with the church. And so they use their money to give toward missions that they feel prompted toward. So is there yeah, something that I, you could direct them toward? I totally, I totally understand that. Yeah. I, I'd say, um, yeah, the, the mission, okay. <laughs> the mission, the mission work that we're doing uh, that we're most directly involved in is in a country where uh, it's best that I not say what the country is. The people okay. there could get themselves into some trouble. So we're, let's say we're we're going sub- significantly off road, and it's in the Middle East. So um, we're we're do that, and so we have a team of people over there, and we have a, a website in. Uh, uh, you know, one of the major languages in the Middle East. Um, but for the protection of the people involved, we don't even say what country it is. Sure. Uh, so on our house church website, we have had people who are interested in what we're doing and have just sent money to us on the house church website. So on our house church website, it's um, if somebody does a, a, a search for you know Chuck Pike, Woburn, W-O-B-U-R-N. Our, our church is called A Church of Christ in Woburn. W-O-B-U-R-N. We try to think of, say, what's the most plain vanilla description? <laughs> Unpretentious that we could possibly come up with. That's, that's, what we, that's what we call ourselves. So A Church of Christ in Woburn. So, um, so if somebody did a search for Chuck Pike and, and Church of Christ in Woburn, you'd find our website, and, and, and on there there's information if somebody wants to, to give. So, But I was talking to uh, 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 two of the team members earlier today in the Middle East about uh, what we're doing. So we have the uh, – I, I think I sent you a link to the Prove It series, the mm-hmm. apologetic series, and they redid that in their own language professionally. Wow. 
Um, so, and that's, so this is going into a rather hardcore Muslim country, uh, on the, on the internet. So we're, and we, a lot of David Rousseau stuff has been translated into, uh, the local language as well. So, uh, so that's what we're doing. We're trying to get the message out in a place that's, uh, uh, that's uh, pretty locked down, uh, where people can use VPNs to, to, uh, check yeah. out the website. Man, that's, so that's what we're doing. That's great. Um, well, I definitely want to thank you again for doing this interview and I'd love to give you, you know, the last word. So is there a, a final word of encouragement or uh, exhortation advice that you'd like to give to our listeners? Um, <clears throat> wow. Uh, I would assume that anyone who's listening to this is on the kingdom path and they probably feel like an outlier, like they don't fit in. Okay. So, so where, where they are. So uh, people, I know people in Anabaptist circles and Protestant circles and other circles who are struggling to figure out what do I do? Do I move someplace? I feel like I'm a fish out of water. The more I learn, the more I can't combine this with what I'm being taught. And uh, I would say, take courage that the, the message of the kingdom is growing and spreading. So learn as much as you can and, and, and be encouraged. I see so many wonderful things happening. Uh, I appreciate the work that you're doing in, in spreading the message of the kingdom and so it's, it's going out into all different circles. So a lot of people are out there and uh, I get questions all the time. What do I do, Chuck? Where do I go? I feel like I'm alone, but there are more and more people who are surfacing. And uh, I think God's, God's going to do wonderful things. I would say, take courage, stay strong and, and uh, you know, really, be deep in the word of God every single day and, and be praying for the spread of the, of the kingdom.
stay.